morning. If you would take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter number two. Revelation and chapter number two. If you're looking for it, that's the very last book of the Bible. Revelation and chapter number two. And as you're turning there, I'm the lucky guy that drew the assignment of preaching while everyone is waiting to eat. So I already know, man. I already know. Y'all are going to be looking out there. When is this dude going to shut up? I swear I can smell the food coming from the other building. Tough task today. Try your best to bear with me. I know we're hungry. I'll try to get you out of here uh, so we can have plenty of time to eat. Revelation chapter number two is where we'll be this morning. We're going to begin reading verse number one. Let's just jump right in. Revelation chapter two and verse number one. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake, has labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for who you are, Lord, as we approach Thankful Sunday. Lord, we are thankful because we are rooted in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we come boldly to your throne here this morning. We've done nothing to earn that privilege, but Lord, we have literally been clothed. In the righteousness of Christ, his blood has washed our sins away. Lord, this morning we are drowning in the ocean of Christ's mercy, love, and grace upon us. I pray that as we dive into your word here this morning, that the Holy Spirit would do that work which he desires to do, and that is reveal Christ through this holy book. Lord, I pray that you would be with me, enable me, and help me, that I would convey the truths of the word your word adequately and appropriately. Give us all safety as we travel our different and separate ways later on today. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we do pray. Amen. One of the big advantages of living in the internet age, there's a lot of disadvantages too, we won't get into that, right? One of the big advantages of living in the internet age, in my opinion, is internet reviews. So, I don't know if you guys are like me, but anytime someone tells me about a restaurant that I should try out, the first thing I do is Google that restaurant. I want to see what kind of reviews the internet says about this restaurant. And the the reviews aren't good. No matter how much I trust this friend, if the Google reviews are bad, sorry, bro, I'm not trying this restaurant, right? Whether you're on Yelp or Google. And, you know, I actually took the liberty, I was looking at Google, at some funny church reviews. I think I mentioned this one last week. There was a lady that gave a church one star, and her complaint was that the singing felt mandatory. There was another lady, oddly enough, I found on Google, did not even realize that she was in a church. The church was called The Open Door. She thought she went to a restaurant. 
And so she's sitting in the open door church waiting on her food to arrive. And so she gives this church a bad review because she didn't even know where, what kind of building she was walking into. Of course, you know, there's reviews out there. The sermon was too long. That's, that's my fear today that I'm going to get on Google later today. Dude preached too long when there was food to be had in the other building. Right. It's important to us to know what other people say about church, right? We, we want to be a church where people are comfortable being here. They're, they feel like we're friendly. We want to be a church that attracts people. But I think the question that jumps out in this text is, what does Jesus Christ say about the church? Now, here's the title of the message, because I realized, Brother Chris, last time I preached, I did not give a title. And it was such a good title, too. I was so disappointed. I had this good title. This was not that good, but a divine church review. A divine church review is what we're looking at today. This church at Ephesus, I want us to understand, was a thriving church. In my opinion, if you look into the New Testament, I don't think there is a church that models what a New Testament church should be better than the church at Ephesus. Just to give you a quick synopsis of this church at Ephesus that Jesus is addressing in our text today. It was planted by the Apostle Paul. Of course, Paul, that superstar missionary in the New Testament that wrote the majority of the New Testament, he planted this church. So, right, that, that's a big thing, like you want to put on your church. This was planted by the Apostle Paul. Timothy was a pastor at this church. This was Paul's mentor. If you read about Timothy in Scripture, he was gifted. God had gifted him, although he was young in age. He was gifted to speak. He was gifted in theology. He had been taught the Bible from his mother and grandmother and then was discipled by Paul. This guy was stout theologically and gifted oracly. It appears also that John, who's writing this letter in Revelation, was a leader at the church of Ephesus at some time. And it appears that Paul was writing his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, while here in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla, that power couple mentioned in Acts, this missionary couple, they were heady theologically. They helped Paul in his work at Ephesus and would eventually stay at Ephesus to help the church progress. Ephesus was a church planting church. They planted churches like in the city of Colossae. Of course, you know Colossae from Colossians and Hierapolis. They were planting other churches. Paul wrote to Timothy two letters, first and second Timothy, while Timothy was pastoring at Ephesus. And as we already said, John's writing three epistles from Ephesus. What's the point? You can see that there's a lot of information flowing through Ephesus. This is a central point. Like this church is special. If you read your Bibles, so Paul writes a lot of church epistles. And outside of the book of Romans, Paul handles more theological truth in Ephesians than he does any other letter. So if you look at a letter like Galatians and Colossians, Paul has to combat false doctrine because he knows false doctrine has infiltrated the church at Galatia and the church at Colossae. But in Ephesians, he is not addressing false doctrine because as we'll find out in our text, Ephesians was stout theologically. If I could put it this way, they could eat meat. Paul wrote them a theological letter because he knew the Christians at Ephesus, they could feed on meat. They were not weak theologically. They knew their Bibles. They had a great legacy and heritage. So understand that the church we're talking about, that God is addressing, would be arguably the most well-known church at this New Testament period in time. There was a lot of good things going on at Ephesus. But again the question must be asked. What does Jesus have to say? If I could say this as friendly as I know how. 
Yes, I want you to come to church and be comfortable. I, I want you to feel like you belong here. And I want you to feel like we care. And I believe that this church does. We, we profess to be a church with a heart. And I believe that. That we are. But if I can say this as lovingly as I know how, my number one concern is not necessarily what we think about our church. What does Christ think about the church? You see from verse number one. So some of you may be, you're critics of church, you're critics of Christianity, you're visiting today because a family member has bugged you or a co-worker has bugged you and you've heard there's food. And I just want to say, I'm glad you're here. No matter why you're here, I'm glad you're here. But maybe you're here today because you just wanted that person to get off your back that's kept inviting you and you're critical of what church is. You say, why is church important? I think verse number one is very clear. Jesus cares about the church. Right. It says these things say he that holdeth the seven stars. These are the seven churches that would be addressed. The church at Ephesus is the first one in his right hand. And then catch this. Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So get this, that Jesus Christ is observing what's going on in the church. He cares. The Bible literally tells us that Christ gave his life for the church. So maybe you're here today thinking, man, people, they just do church because there's nothing else better to do. Like, what else are you going to do on a Sunday? Like, I'm, I'm going to be the first person to tell you. As soon as service is over today, I'm going to put my kids down for a nap. I'm going to turn NFL football on. I'm going to pull up my fantasy teams. And I'm going to check in and see how they're doing. I'm going to watch football. Like, I promise you, there's other things to do on a Sunday. Like, I don't, we just don't come to church because we're bored. No, we come to church because church matters to Christ. And I would hope that Christ matters to you. And what we're going to find, actually, is that although Ephesus did church really well, arguably better than any other church in their day, they lost this fundamental truth that their heart for the Lord mattered more than the reputation of their church. All right, we're going to look at our text in three movements. If you want your outline now, here it is. We're going to look at it in three movements. We see the Lord's commendation. We see the Lord's correction. And we see the Lord's comfort. All right, so let's look at this divine church review. What does Jesus Christ have to say about the church at Ephesus? Let's look firstly at the Lord's commendation. Verse number two, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake hath labored and has not fainted. Now, I want to be clear. I've, I've heard this text preached a lot. Um, it's easy for us to discount everything good Jesus says about the church because they did one thing wrong. I want us to understand that the accommodation that the Lord's give should be identified within a church. What Ephesus does well, we should also strive to do well. We do not discount the good things Christ says about this church and just say, well, they, had, they didn't have love, so throw it all away. No. I don't want us to get this mixed up, that the works they did are needed within a local church body. What was the Lord's commendation? He commended them really for two things from what I evaluate from this text. Number one, we see they had commendable labor and they also had commendable discernment. Notice what Jesus says about their labor. I know thy works and thy labor. There's the word. Thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. We'll come back to that verse three and has borne, has patience and for my name's sake. Has labored. So there's a couple things about their labor. I, to me, the church of Ephesus sounds like the World War II generation. 
Life is hard, but they press on. They just keep laboring. Their labor is constant. Their labor is consistent. Their labor is even patient. They're not getting discouraged when they're not seeing the results they think they should see. That's the idea of of being patient. And then notice in verse number three, has born and has patience again. And for my name's sake has labored. So their motives are even right. They're not laboring and ministering to put themselves on a pedestal. They are laboring under the banner of the name of Christ. They're doing a lot of things well. They had busy hands and busy feet and theological minds. We're going to get to in a minute. Loveless hearts. So busy hands, busy feet, theological minds. This church did church really well. If you want to know what church is supposed to look like, Ephesus has the answer for you. They work steadfastly, constantly. They have patience. Life is beginning to be in decline. So these people in Ephesus, it's not the the great city that it was 30 years ago. The city is beginning to decline. And you guys know, common sense will tell you, if a city declines, most likely the churches in that area will also decline. But Ephesus... Just keeps working. Their labor is commendable. And I want to ask you as I ask myself, is your labor for the Lord commendable? Are you laboring patiently? Are you doing what you do for his name's sake? Is, is, that, your, is that your motive? Is that the heart of the reason for what you, why you do what you do? We see their commendable labor and we also see their commendable discernment. So they identified two things into the church and sadly... Satan is still using false messengers to bring a false version of what the Bible says and ultimately the gospel. But what stands out about Ephesus is they were they were able to identify false doctrine when we're going to find out that these other seven churches, some of them were not. And I'm afraid that this is a huge problem in Christianity today, that because mommy and daddy believes that we believe it because it worked for grandma and grandpa might as well work for me. Well, this guy's got a suit and tie on and he's preaching. It must work for him. It should work for me. He's got a pretty smile when he talks. He's a great orator, right? He's he's claiming to be a Christian. There's a sad thing in Christianity today that just because someone claims to be a Christian and they speak what they speak, we're so quick to believe it because if we're honest, we are not diving into what doctrine is ourselves. Christian, you should trust your pastor and you should trust those who speak the Bible to you. But you should be personally responsible for studying God's word for yourself. Your pastor is not responsible to give you your body of doctrine. And I know some of you that may make you uncomfortable. Your body of doctrine should rest on what the Holy Spirit reveals to you through Scripture. This is what Ephesus had. The alarms went off in their mind when they heard false doctrine. When people said, well, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need an alarm would go off in the Ephesian church members mind. No, this is false doctrine. Do we have enough discernment? Do we have enough spiritual maturity to test what we're told? Or are we just, well, worked for my family, probably worked for me, too. This was not the hardest spirit at Ephesus. They wanted doctrine. They wanted apologetics. They were reading the Puritans. They probably had people, probably had children in their church running around named Spurgeon and Martin Luther. That's chronologically impossible, but you see what I'm saying, right? They they liked doctrine. 
They were personally responsible for building their beliefs upon Scripture. And are we personally responsible or is that the Sunday school teacher's job? Are we personally responsible or is that our favorite podcaster's job? No, we, we need to love the word for ourselves. If I was to ask you, why do you believe what you believe? If your answer is not because the Holy Spirit has showed me, we're already on the wrong path. So they could identify false doctrine and they could also identify immorality. Look at verse number six. This is almost kind of out of place. I don't want to miss this, though. Verse number six. But thou, this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the Nicolaitans were a group of professing Christians that exaggerated spiritual liberties. So if you would allow me to be blunt, the Nicolaitans would jump from bed to bed, but profess Jesus Christ. And Ephesus... She's right through it. Now, I do not mean to have anyone in here doubt their salvation tonight. That's not my intent. I despise that with a passion. I just want to be clear on that. But there is two things that will reveal whether your profession of faith is legit or not. The first one is bad doctrine. If you have a bad body of beliefs, that will reveal that you may not know Christ at all because you do not know who Christ actually is. The second thing that could identify that your faith is not genuine is immorality. The Bible says clearly, by their fruits ye shall know them. Right? If you're looking for apples, that's what you should be expecting, right? Apples? The Nicolaitans were professing Christ, but there was actually an old school commentator in Revelation who called the Nicolaitans pleasure-seeking goats. They loved pleasure more than the principles of Scripture. So they were professing Christ, but living Immorally, and, if he, and the church at Ephesus was able to realize this is not Christianity at all. They were not deceived by this. So we see the Lord's commendation. Ephesus did some things well. You know, as, as I read this, it's, as we read verses 1 through 3, I could just see John as he's given this message from the Lord who was serving in this church. This would be, you, you could honestly say Ephesus was the Apostle John's home church. As he's reading this message, imagine the shock when Jesus said, hey, I want you to write a message to the church. John's thinking, which church? And Jesus said, Ephesus, the church which you were a leader in. And could you imagine how happy John is to hear that his church, that he's been a part of, that he's helped grow? Can you imagine his joy in hearing that they are standing for the truth? They are doctrinally sound. They are theologically steady. They're heady. They're not condoning immorality. All to hear this in verse number four. Nevertheless, you can almost see the shock on John's face. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. If uh, I could be transparent with you today. All of us have to be aware that we can all become victims very fast of being a professional Christian. And what do I mean by that? I'll just be transparent and give you a, a real personal illustration here. So most of you probably know this. Some of your visitors may not. I was raised in a pastor's home. I've always been around ministry. I went to a Bible college where external rules mattered a lot. I was always in ministry. It's, just, it's what I knew. It was all around me. <laughs> I didn't know anything else. That's what I grew up in. I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And really, for most of my life, I was always just trying to get better. 
I, was, I accepted Christ as my Savior, and at a young age, I realized that I was incapable of saving myself. In, in myself, I was insufficient of receiving salvation. I had to rely on Christ's righteousness, but something happened throughout my life that I did not even realize. I relied on Christ's righteousness for salvation, but relied on my own righteousness for approval. So I could hop in a choir loft. I could, I could give a message. I'd heard enough people preach. <laughs> I could sing a special song. I, I could give the gospel to other people. <laughs> I knew how to do it well and appropriately. You know, no one ever really made the connection for me that the gospel and what Jesus Christ meant to me was to affect me every day. I just had this idea like, how can I be better? And so I strove to be better. I entered ministry, and honestly, my intentions were clear. I, I, I love teaching God's word. Like, I love it. I enjoy it. I'm, I'm right at home doing it. And it's weird. I don't know how else to explain it other than I think that's just the Holy Spirit thing. I just enjoy it. Some of you are thinking, well, we don't enjoy it. That's beside the point. <laughs> and, and, I, and I really worked at doing it well. Like, I wanted to be good at it. Not, not for me, but I thought I was honoring the Lord. Like if I can convey the truths of God's word clearly to others so that Christ could be glorified, like that's a good thing, right? And so I, I strove to do that. But something happened in my life and trials have a way of reminding you how insufficient you are in of yourself. And something happened in my life that I didn't even realize was going on. I had forgotten from where I had fallen. Look at verse number five. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. <laughs> what happened in my life is because I did so many Christian things well. I forgot who I really was apart from Christ. And when trials hit my life, I didn't care so much about can I exposit scripture well. I didn't care so much as do I have a good strategy about leading someone to Christ? I didn't really care so much as do I have enough talent to sing, etc., etc. None of those things mattered to me when trials hit my life because I realized I need Jesus. That five-year-old boy that came to Christ realizing that he was nothing without Jesus was now a grown man and realized the same truth. Although I accepted him, my professional Christianity had made me miss the wonder of what the gospel was personally in my life. And church, if I could say this lovingly to you. Some of you think. That your Christianity is, is good because of what you do. Right, because you sing in the choir, you teach a class, you hop on the bus, and you lead others to Christ. And I want to commend you to do all that. But what we see here in Revelation that the problem of becoming a professional Christian is that you can do Christianity so well and so effective, but miss the beauty of who Christ actually is in your life. Church, if I could say this to you, Jesus Christ means everything to me in this moment. Jesus Christ means everything to me. Four years ago, I probably couldn't have said that. Four or five years ago, I probably could not have said that. But realizing who I am apart from Christ now, Jesus means everything to me. 
And that's the question we must ask is, do we love him? Is he the object of our affection? Christ, yes, he wants our hands. He wants our feet. He wants our minds. But what he wants more than all of those things is our heart. He doesn't want duty as ministry. He wants us to do our duty because we love him. Have we lost the wonder of it all? Has there ever been a time where you've loved God's word more? Has there ever been a time in your life where the cross meant more to you than it does now? This is what had happened at Ephesus. They did church and Christianity well, but had lost the beauty of Jesus. So the Lord's correction, he gives us three things to remember, to repent and to return. And I want to just clear off a spot here. I've wrote a lot of things down. We're going to move quickly. And I want to just encourage us to remember Jesus this morning. How do we remember Jesus? Remember his glorious person. Jesus is the eternal son of God. God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Remember that Jesus is equal in essence with the Father. Remember that everything that can be said about the divine nature of God the Father can also be said of God the Son as well. The old school catechism puts it this way. God is infinite in being and perfection, unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, Almighty, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable, most righteous will for his own glory. Most loving, gracious, merciful, long suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. All these things can be said of God, the father, but they are also true of God, the son. Remember his glorious person. Remember his preexistence, that Jesus did not begin to exist in the virgin's womb, but from everlasting to everlasting, he is God. As Jesus said in John 17, 5, And now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Remember his preexistence. Remember his perfect life, that Jesus fulfilled God's law perfectly, internally and externally. He is the true and better Adam. Every thought that Jesus had was a sinless thought. Every word he said was a sinless word. And every deed he performed was a sinless deed. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He is the spotless and perfect lamb of God. Remember his perfect life. Church, remember his sacrificial death. Remember that on the cross, Jesus suffered the full weight of the father's wrath and fury against sin. Remember that he laid down his life as a substitute in the place of all who would trust in him, including you, if you would trust in him today. Remember that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Remember that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Remember that the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Remember his sacrificial death. Doesn't end there. Remember his glorious resurrection. Church, Jesus is alive. Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but on the third day, Remember his resurrection. If you're in here today and you're tempted to sin, remember Jesus Christ. That he himself suffered when he was tempted, so he is able to help those who are tempted. If you have fallen into temptation, if you have sinned, remember Jesus Christ. That we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. If you are discouraged in here this morning, remember Jesus Christ. Who says in John 16, 33, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When you are sick, remember Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly body so that one day our bodies will be like his glorious body. If you're healthy this morning, remember Jesus Christ and give him thanks like the leper who was healed and returned to express his gratitude to Jesus. If you're anxious about finances, 
Remember Jesus Christ who said in Luke 12, 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? If you're considering doing something difficult for the Lord, remember Jesus Christ who says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. To any children or young person in the room today, I want you to remember Jesus Christ. God made you and he made you in his image for his glory that you might honor Jesus all of your days. To the older saints in here, I want you to remember Jesus Christ who says in Isaiah 46, 4, and even to your old age, I am he, I am he and to your gray hairs will I carry you. If you are single, remember Jesus Christ. Your maker is your husband and the Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. If you're a father in here, remember Jesus Christ. In your homes, as you lead your family, pray that your home will be an atmosphere where God is acknowledged and worshipped. If you're a mother in here this morning, remember Jesus Christ. Both his power to save your children as well as his acceptance of you when you feel overwhelmed or inadequate. Deacons in the room, remember Jesus Christ as you serve the Lord. He was the ultimate deacon who came not to to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Pastor, remember Jesus Christ. As you lead the congregation, remember Jesus is the good shepherd and overseer of our souls. Remember that your righteousness is not found in your leadership or your sermons. Your righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. You remember him? Do you know him, Christian? Do you remember him, Jesus Christ, the God glorifier, the universe creator, the prophecy fulfiller, the perfect law obeyer, the scripture validator, the father honorer, the humility modeler, the cross carrier, the sin bearer, the death conqueror, the grave defeater, the salvation achiever, the prayer answerer, the proud humbler, the weak strengthener, the elect preserver, the justice executor, the triumphant returner, the Satan destroyer, the eternal joy giver, Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? Do you know this Jesus Christ? Christian, do you remember this Jesus Christ? Do you remember what it was like to love Jesus before you got good at Christianity? Do you remember what it was like to know Jesus before you were on a bus route or taught a class? Do you remember what it was like to love Jesus before you had it all figured out on your own? Remember Jesus Christ. Let's finish. We see that that Jesus' admonition is for us to, number one, remember. Number two, repent. Verse number five, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Jesus says clearly to his church, you can keep doing what you're doing, but if you don't return to the spirit you had at first, for me, Jesus essentially says you're done. I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Repent is just simply Acknowledging our will is wrong and his will is right. So, yeah, maybe we don't fall into false doctrine like the church at Ephesus. Maybe we're not a super immoral Christian, but if we're doing Christianity out of duty alone. Church, that's sin. We must call sin what God calls sin. And what does he tell his church? Repent. I need you to find a newfound affection for me. And that's my challenge. To you this morning, whether you're an unbeliever and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to find a newfound affection for this wonderful Savior. 
If you're a Christian in here and you've forgotten the beauty of who he is, I want you to repent of that as well and find a newfound affection for how desperately you need him. So remember, repent, resume. Jesus just says to them, do what you were doing at first. And then number three, as we close, the Lord's comfort. It's easy to look at this text and say that Jesus is hateful, right? Like he's saying to his church, if they don't return to loving him, he's, he's gonna, they're going to no longer exist to be a church. That's kind of harsh, right? I want to encourage you to see what's really going on here in the text. And this is amazing to think about, church. Jesus Christ wants our love. Now, I have every reason to love Jesus. He lived a perfect life for me and for you. He died on a cross for me and for you. He has never failed me one time. He has never let me down one time. My promise in heaven is secure because of what Jesus has done for me. He has never let me down. And in this relationship between me and Jesus, do you want to know whose love has a tendency to wonder You want to know whose love has a tendency to grow cold? Mine. Jesus has never once let me down, and yet we fail to love him. How many times do we let him down? How many times do we mess up? There's nothing in of ourselves that can even get us salvation. We have to fully depend on him. He loves us despite our mistakes. He loves us despite our faithlessness and our lovelessness. Church, he loves you. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have this idea like, I've got to clean my life up so that Jesus will take me. Jesus wants you as you are. He loves you. Church, if you're in here today and you say, man, I've not been in the Bible for so long, I'm embarrassed. I don't even know where to start. Jesus has to be so upset with me. No, Jesus loves you. We can say that Jesus just has it out for his church. No, all Jesus wants is their love. And may I say to you, yes, Jesus is honored with ministry. Jesus is honored with doing the things that Ephesus did well. He is absolutely honored with those things. But what he wants more than those things is your personal love and affection. If you've fallen prey to becoming a professional Christian, I want to encourage you today to repent and ask God to give you a newfound affection for your Savior. Jesus loves you. May we never forget we are loved by our perfect Savior. I'm going to pray and then we'll turn things over to Brother Dom. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in hearts. Lord, if I can just speak transparently, I I desire one thing in here today. Just one thing. That Jesus would become everything to those in this building today. And Lord, I can preach and whatever, but Lord, it's your Holy Spirit that has to accomplish that work of which I cannot do. And so I pray that as we move into this time of invitation, that your Holy Spirit would begin to work and begin to show the beauty of who Jesus is. For those who do not know Jesus in here today, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see how they desperately need 
Jesus Christ in their life. And for those who maybe have been in church for so long that they've missed the beauty of what the gospel actually is each and every day in our life, I pray that you would give us a newfound love and affection for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. Let's everyone stand, please. Everyone.